chapter 3. This morning, our associate pastor, Gail, he was going to be speaking to us from Ruth chapter 3. We're working through the book of Ruth, and there's just one week next week to go. And uh, if you'll turn there, that would be great. Just letting you know, we've got great services uh, right through the day. Tonight, uh, 6.30, Chris Little from Albury Bible Fellowship is sharing with us, and he'll be speaking from 1 John chapter 3. So uh, it'll be a great service tonight. Ruth chapter 3. And my heading says, Ruth and Boaz at the threshing floor. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor and don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of king, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning." So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did, she poured in, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And we look forward to God speaking to us as he does through his word. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you for 
the way in which you are at work in each of our lives. You're our Lord, you're our Saviour, you're our Father and we just love you God and we love the way that you have demonstrated your love in sending your Son Jesus. We have put our trust and our faith in him. God, you know us. You know that by our own good works, uh, they come to nothing. Uh, God, we are trusting completely in your son, Jesus, and we put our faith in him to live daily. And God, this morning, as we uh, open our hearts and our minds to learn more of who you are and what you've done for us, we just pray, God, that you would speak to us in, in, this morning through your word. And God, as we continue to worship you now, we just want to say, God, that we love you, that we love being part of your family, part of your kingdom. And God, we would just pray this morning that as you touch and continue to change our lives into the people that you, you've planned for us to be, that you would touch other lives around us. And God, we pray that people who we know and love who are far from you would come to know you as we continue to know and to love you. God, we would pray for our Easter services coming up and we'd pray that you would be giving us the courage to, to just invite people, to invite people to come and to, and to hear more of what you've done. God, would you be organising situations? Would you help us to, to be ready and, and inviting people who we know and love? Oh God, we thank you that you have saved us, that our past is forgiven that our present, that you are working daily in us and that our future is, is so bright, eternity with you. We just want to say thanks, God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a story. There's a story of um, two men that work in a wood cutting or a, a mill and at the, end of the, at the end of the evening one of the workers gets the, a wheelbarrow and inside the wheelbarrow is a little box and he wheels the wheelbarrow out past his supervisor and the supervisor stops him and says, hang on, what have you got there in that wheelbarrow, uh, in the box in the wheelbarrow? And the guy said, well, open it up. I'm, I'm happy for you to have a look. So the supervisor opens up the box inside the wheelbarrow and sees that it's sawdust. He said, what are you doing with that? He said, well, go through it. It's only sawdust. I'm just using it for a project at home. So the supervisor says, okay, well, off you go. So the worker goes out and uh, next night he does exactly the same thing has a wheelbarrow with a little box sitting inside the wheelbarrow, wheels the wheelbarrow out past the supervisor and the supervisor wants to inspect the box, sees that there's only sawdust in the box and continues to let the worker go through and wheels the wheelbarrow out uh, the front door. And this happened consecutively for five nights in a row and at the end of the fifth night, the supervisor says, look, I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're stealing something. I can't work out what you're stealing, but I'll tell you what. If you tell me what you're stealing, I promise that I will not convict you. You know, I'll keep it quiet. And the worker says, well, if you promise not to tell anyone, I'll tell you what I'm stealing. So 
the supervisor says, well, tell me, I'm fascinated. He said, well, I'm actually stealing wheelbarrows. <laughs> and the moral of that little story is that sometimes we can be so focused on the little box with sawdust in it that we actually don't see the bigger picture. We don't see the wheelbarrows in our lives, eh? And I'm sure we're all guilty of that. And in a sense, the story of Ruth, the whole story of Ruth is a little bit like we're drawn into this story and we're looking at the little box which contains sawdust. We're hearing about the everyday lives of two women in particular and we're fascinated because we see that their life is marked by hardship. Their life, as we saw in the last two weeks, was marked by, you know, a famine and upon returning, still really you couldn't say in the lap of luxury. Here Ruth has been sent off by Naomi to glean just the barley heads that were left in Boaz's field. So in a sense, this story of Ruth brings us into the, the intimate daily grind of uh, two women. And so whilst we're focused on that, we're actually got to be reminded that God is actually doing a bigger picture, is actually undertaking a greater story. And next week when Jonathan uh, finishes up this amazing story, we'll just see the incredible redemptive plan that God has, not only for Ruth and not only for Naomi, but for the generations to come. And so it's a little bit like the story of Ruth. We not only have to be reminded of the little box of sawdust, but we have to be reminded of the greater story, which is about restoration, which is about redemption uh, of not only two women, but of us, as, of us as people that come from that line. And the reasons for Ruth was to show that King David really came from a divinely guided historical and theological line of patriarchs. We see the generational line leading to David. But the second reason that Ruth, um, that the story of Ruth was shown or, or put where it was in the Bible is to show that Ruth is actually a founding mother of Israel. And that, that's quite audacious. That's quite amazing when we think of that because um, the Old Testament was very much a patriarchal, um, you know, culture. And we know that when we, we're reading through, everyone's reading through their daily readings now, you know, and we see how, how patriarchal the society was. So it's quite audacious to think that here the Lord has slipped in this gem of a book which actually highlights and honours and restores a woman's place to the role of humanity, to the role of God's purposes. And, you know, every church, every church needs a father, but every church also needs a mother. Every church needs mother figures, as we just saw earlier. And this beautiful little book shows us that Ruth, is a bit like a founding mother in Israel. And lastly, the book of Ruth also shows that foreigners and outsiders are included in the covenant community 
which is a beautiful thing for us, for those that were far away from God, for those that may be marginalised, for those that don't feel of, of great worth, of, of great value. The book of Ruth says, no, God wants to restore that in you, to say, I want to take your brokenness. I want to take your marginalisation. I want to take your desperation. I want to take your poverty in real terms and your poverty of spirit. And I want to restore you to something that I intended for you long before um, many years, many, many centuries ago, before the fall. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of restoration. And so what I want to do is actually take um, three aspects to this particular chapter. And they're based around risk. They're based around restoration or being restored. And they're based around reward. And I want to spend most of my time on risk because I think as human beings, our greatest challenge, our greatest fear is actually moving out of our comfort zone and taking risks, taking challenges. It's very easy to be a comfortable Christian. It's very easy to be a comfortable person who isn't a Christian in today's world, in the world that we live in here in Australia in 2007. And yet this story highlights an incredible truth and that truth is that to actually experience Jesus, to meet the Redeemer, the one that's going to restore us, involves risk. So let's read again. One day, from verse 1 to 9, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answers. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. Wow. This section that we end up with is actually the climax of chapter 3. It's where Ruth teeters on what will her future look like. So what do we first of all see in this section of chapter 3? Well, the first thing that we see is that Ruth is part of a covenant family. And it's a covenant family by choice. And number two, Ruth displays courage and obedience, which is what is required by Yahweh or God of his covenant people. 
So it's courage that God requires of us that is modelled here in Ruth. And number three, Ruth trusts in the restorative function despite the dangers of a redeeming Yahweh, a redeeming God. She trusts in a faithful God despite her risking. She trusts in his restoration. She's obedient to the wishes and duty of her mother-in-law who has become her mother by choice and the Israelites, her family and God by, by her choice. And even though there were more attractive men that she could have been um, available to, she chose to be obedient and go to a much older man who is Boaz. So we see her courage, we see her obedience. And in the rural culture of approximately 500 BC in Israel, widows were looked after the family line and were restored by a word called the Goel. And I just have to digress here for a moment for you to understand the context. It's so important for you to understand the context of life for these women in this society and what this word means in order to be restored so that you can understand the amazing response by Boaz who actually models a God that loves as well. So the word goel is applied to Yahweh, God, in this very broad expression of compassion for the oppressed and for the way he redeemed the captives and helped the needy. The goel is specifically the kinsman on whom lays the obligation of redemption or of blood revenge. So if a, a woman's husband was killed, um, it was up to the goel to revenge that brother that was killed. Figuratively, the word is applied to God in the sense of rehabilitator or restorer. So, for example, Goel is used in Exodus after Israel was released or restored from bondage in Egypt. The term Goel was used in Old Testament times mainly for restoring ownership of alienated clan property uh, through redemption and to free fellow clansmen from poverty-induced slavery. And in Genesis 38 and in Deuteronomy 25, we've got models here of a goel, G-O-E-L, that restores a widow through marriage. And that type of marriage was called leverite, L-E-V-I-R-A-T, a leverite marriage, where a widow's immediate next of kin would marry her so to preserve the lineage of the brother, okay? So in Genesis 38, there's an order of preference in the Leverite marriage. According to the Old Testament, the goal's role was not a legal requirement, rather it was a covenantal and moral obligation to act on behalf of the kinsman in need. So into this environment, just understand for a moment steps two women, both are widowed. And so you also have to remember the context of this time. We're told that just the preceding book in the Old Testament to Ruth is the book of Judges. And 
at the very last passage in the book of Judges, which is um, Judges 21, verse 25, it ends by saying, in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. So into this context steps a beautiful book of Ruth, which highlights the incredible danger that these two women faced by approaching Boaz, who was not their nearest of king. He was not their nearest of king. And he had no legal requirement to redeem Ruth. He had no legal obligation whatsoever. He had a covenantal moral obligation which was based on his goodwill. And yet at the same time, it was really not for him to be the goel because there was a nearer kinsman. So why, why did Naomi send Ruth off, a woman, at night on her own to the threshing floor, which was a male-dominated area, to go and lie at the feet of Boaz? Can you get the picture of how dangerous that was, how audacious that was, how, how incredibly courageous that was for this woman. Well, the reason is in verse 1, because Naomi has a beautiful love for Ruth. She says, my daughter, shouldn't I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? There was something in Boaz that they saw that was godly, that was merciful, and this was Um, Naomi's desire for Ruth. And yet, as we progress and move through, we see that Naomi had also an even more audacious plan. Because in verse 3, she says, wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. That was actually an invitation for Boaz to view Ruth as an intended wife, as an intended bride. So not only was Ruth going to the threshing floor to seek compassion and mercy, she was also going with an unstated yet clearly defined plea of marriage. Then Naomi instructs her to go and uncover his feet and lie down in verse 4. This was a position of humility. Despite the vicarious and vulnerable position of Ruth, she continued to act with beauty and humility and courage. It really was an absolutely... Sorry, I just... um, Find it. That's the end. (laughs) Don't worry about it. I can never do this. I'm going to read to you 1 Peter 3, 1b to 5a because it just models this beautiful inner humility and courage. It says, They will be won over without talk by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from an outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewellery and fine clothes. 
Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. So what we see in this first vignette in chapter 3 is not only a courageous woman, what we see is a woman that has taken on board a covenant family and a covenant God and she is actually modelling that, that inner strength, that inner beauty, that inner relationship that she has with the God that she chose. And it's coming out, it's expressed through that beautiful, gentle inner spirit. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, we're told, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Can you imagine that in the threshing floor, women weren't supposed to be there. He wakes up at midnight and at the end of his feet is a woman lying there. Do you know that that could have been viewed as, uh, you know, harlotry? She could have been taken advantage of. Do you know that the outcome for um, harlotry was to be stoned? Do you know that this woman modelled incredible faith and incredible courage. And she replies, I am your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are the kingsman redeemer. It modelled beautiful humility. And yet this is the climax. This is like if you go to a movie, you're waiting to see what is going to be, what's going to happen to the hero Are the baddies going to get him or is he really going to save the day? And here we are, we've reached the climax in chapter 3. What is the response going to be of Boaz? Is he going to turn her away and then all the townsfolk will know exactly what she did? Or is he going to be her Goel? It was a delicate request for marriage. Will you spread your skirt over your maidservant? for you are my Goel. And the spreading of the skirt is referred to in the passage in Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, 8, and it reflects God's beautiful Goel of Israel. God is the Goel towards Israel. It says, when I passed by you again and looked upon you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread my skirt over you and covered your nakedness. Yea, I plighted my troth to you and entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord God, and you became mine. The custom prevailed, this custom of throwing the, uh, the, the coat tail or the garment over the woman among the early Arabs, and it's recorded in the Quran. It says in the Jahiliya, when a man's father or brother or son died and left a widow, the dead man's heir... If he came at once and threw his garment over her, had the right to marry her under the dowry of her deceased lord or to give her in marriage and take her dowry. It was a risky undertaking. Ruth is placing herself in a situation of extreme vulnerability in which she could easily be taken advantage of. That she involves herself in such a painful situation 
is the heroism of faithfulness. The phrase, spread your skirt, reminds us of the wings of Yahweh under which Ruth had come to take refuge when we heard about in chapter 2, verse 12. It's because she now belongs within the covenant people of Yahweh that she is seeking the protection of the wings of Boaz. You know, I wonder, have you ever been called to risk something, something very significant for the sake of obedience? Have you ever had to give up something special and follow God despite your comfort or wanting to do things your way? Perhaps some of you are here today who God has been calling forth into greater levels of courage and obedience to undertake something you've been putting off or too scared to do. Well, maybe today is the day where God is calling you on to greater levels of courage, greater levels of of obedience, despite not knowing what the outcomes will be. But remember, remember we have a redeemer. We have a marvellous restorer who wants to restore that which was robbed from us from the very beginning at the fall and he wants to restore us back to how it should have been. We have a marvellous redeemer. We have our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself up at Calvary for our sakes. Restoration and reward will always take risk, will always take risk. And I want you to remember that. I want you to remember that restoration and reward will always take risk. There's no other way. We will never, ever experience the supernatural providence of God if we stay comfortable, if we never truly take the risk that God is calling us to take. And I know he's asking you to risk. I know he is because it's just another word for faith. And it is only in faith, in that space where we take the step, it's only in that place, in that God space, that we really experience the fullness of what God has for us when we experience the supernatural God. So what happens? I'm just going to finish this off ever so briefly. Restoration happens. Verse 3, 10 to 14 says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I, stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good. Let him redeem. But if he is not willing, I vow I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised. And he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. So remember the last vignette, we're on the cusp of waiting to see the climax what was going to be the response? And what is the response 
The Lord bless you, my daughter. That is Boaz's response. That's extraordinary. How often do we not come to God for fear, for wrongly surmising what he will do to us? And yet he is always faithful and he is always willing to bless us. That was Boaz's response. The Lord bless you, my daughter. Boaz demonstrated a godlike response. Ruth is now a member of God's covenant family and is showing her faith. And it is not as though she had no choice. Clearly, she would have been attractive to others. All the townsfolk who gathered at the city gate for conversation for business have been talking about her and have spoken of her virtue, have spoken of her courage, have spoken of her noble character, like the Proverbs 3 31 woman. So he responds with blessing, with a prayer for her. And it's a beautiful response. It's an example of how God wants to respond to us. Boaz knew perfectly well what Ruth was asking. He didn't regard it as immoral or impertinent. He recognised that she was honouring a family obligation and regarded himself as honoured to have been asked. Boaz was the forerunner of the greatest redeemer the world has ever seen and will ever know. To be restored requires a redeemer. And so we move on to the reward. The reward for her faithfulness, for her courage, but the reward that God wants to give her through Boaz. 3, 15 to 18 says, He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into six measures of barley and put it on her. That, that was an equivalent to about 40 kilos, those six, six measures. And in those days, the women carried it on her, their heads. So that's what it meant when he said he put it on her. 40 kilos. That would have been almost possibly just a little under her own weight. That's the extravagance of God. That's the extravagance of Boaz. He went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. She was to leave under the cover of darkness. That's how Boaz expressed his care to her. She was not to go uh, home on her own. She was um, to receive this abundance of food to take with her. And so Boaz demonstrates his wonderful provision and reward for her. And this is the end of the chapter 3 story. It ends with the words, today. She will, he will not rest until the matter is settled today paraphrased this very day. Naomi's long-forgotten prayer is nearly answered. Her sorrow almost turned to joy. She'd be content with whoever married Ruth, for any marriage with a Goel offered hope for the continuation 
of her family line and for the welfare of Ruth herself. This word concludes the scene dramatically and we are left with faith. It's going to happen and it's going to happen today. The two women through their faith have been restored by a greater Goel, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, to be restored requires a redeemer. As for themes, one came to an end while two gained new impetus. First, with the gift of grain, the lack of food, this ceased to be a concern for Ruth and Naomi. Second, the lack of an heir for Elimelech gained new hope. Naomi's emptiness might at last receive restored fullness. Third, Ruth moved closer to full integration into Israel. Her public reputation, self-understanding as an eligible female moved her towards an official status as an Israelite, more accepted into this covenant community. And if she, why not others like her? You know, there's many of us in this room that have been accepted into a covenant community of faithful people because we know and love Jesus Christ. We've said yes, um, that God, Jesus Christ, will be our God. But there's some of you here today that have never done that and yet you've been drawn here today because God has guided you through his providence to be here, just as God provided and and guided Naomi and Ruth and providently provided for them. You know, maybe your life has modelled a Ruth. Maybe you've been in that place, not specifically a widow, but perhaps so. But maybe you felt lost, alone, marginalised. Maybe you're experiencing financial hardship now. Maybe you don't see any hope. Well, I want to tell you here today that the story in Chapter 3 is a story of hope. It's a story of restoration. It's a story that can take you from a place that's outside to a place that's been drawn in, inside, to receive a loving God and a loving community. My prayer today is that if you don't experience that, that you won't leave here today until you speak to someone about that. The time is so short. There's not time to muck around on the edges of our faith. God has a bigger plan for you. Ephesians 3.21 says, And now to him who is able to do infinitely more than you could ever dare dream or hope for, to him be the glory, now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you love us, you draw us in to a covenant relationship with you and that nothing, 
nothing can come against us. Lord, I pray for those that are teetering on the edge, that have never made that commitment. I pray that today will be a day where they will make that commitment. Lord, I pray for those who have already made that commitment and yet still feel afraid, still feel not like Ruth, but but fearful. Lord, I pray that you will seed into them enormous courage, that they'll step out, that they will risk, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for those that do not feel connected today, do not feel part of a covenant family or, or even feel connected to you. Lord, I pray that they will risk, that they will step out and receive the restoration that they need today, the reward that is there for them, that you want to do more than, you could, than they could ever dream or dare or hope for. Oh, Jesus, we thank you that you are indeed our restorer, that you are indeed our redeemer. Amen.